0: And currently we're working our way verse by verse through the first book of the Bible, Genesis. Genesis chapter 32. We're going to be looking at verses 13 through 21 today. A little bit of review. Last time we looked at verses 1 through 13. And uh, some of the stuff that we saw over there, some of the highlights that we saw, we saw in verse 1 that Jacob was continuing on his way. He was intending to go meet Esau. He hasn't seen Esau in 20 years. Last he heard, Esau was out to kill him. He doesn't know whether that's changed or not, but he's intent on going back to uh, reconcile with Esau. Uh, We saw later on that he sends a message to Esau and the servants that he sends with the message. You know, he says, hey, here's the message. Uh, I'm coming back home. Hope everything's good with you. Hope you're not mad at me. You know, I'm paraphrasing it a little bit right there. And they come back and they said, hey, uh, yeah, we found Esau. And he's coming to meet you with 400 men. And uh, you can imagine Jacob's a little more distressed. Did he say anything good or bad? You know, uh, but he's fearful. Jacob is fearful about this meeting that's now sure to happen. Uh, when Esau eventually is going to come up with, who knows, up over the next ridge any time now, come around the corner. He's coming with 400 men. That doesn't sound like a real great arrangement. And then uh, he begins to pray. Jacob begins to pray in earnest and, and seeking God and seeking God's deliverance, seeking God's protection. And then in verse 13, it starts off by saying, so he lodged there that same night. But I don't want us to get lulled into thinking that he went to sleep right away because where we're picking up right now You'll find that before he falls asleep, it sounds like he's got some other chores that he's going to end up doing. Not small chores either. Somebody mind reading verse 13 in its entirety. Uh, We left off with just the first part, but would somebody mind reading the whole of verse 13? Jacob stayed where he was for the night and prepared a present for Esau. Prepared a present for Esau. Is there any additional wording after Esau's name there by any chance? His brother. His brother prepared a present for Esau, his brother. The reason I, I solicited to see if anybody else had a different translation that had a few extra words there, especially his words, his brother, because if you're reading this in the Hebrew, when you read in this verse that there's a present and that there's the brother, the word for present there can also be translated as an offering. And the last time there was a story that had to do with an offering and brothers was the Cain and Abel story. <laughs> so if you're reading in a Hebrew, you're like thinking, Oh, that's not a good thing. <laughs> this sounds like maybe some foreshadowing. How did that turn out with Cain and Abel? Not good. You know, and you might be thinking, oh dear, it sounds kind of like this could be a similar situation. That reminds me of the Cain and Abel story. Is somebody going to die by the end of the story? So uh, yeah, the present and the brother, those combined, you know, bringing up the Cain and Abel story, reminding a person of the Cain and Abel story. But here's an interesting thing that we see. He just got done praying. He was praying. He's praying for God's deliverance, but now he's preparing a present. Right. So he had already asked God, God, I want you to do this great thing for me. I want you to provide a miracle of deliverance for me. Yet he begins to prepare a present for his brother. What do you suppose is going to be the reason for preparing a present? Save his neck. (laughs) (laughs) Save his neck is exactly right. He's preparing a present to hopefully make his brother feel good about him in such a way that he won't kill me. So he's going to prepare. He's going to amass some goods for this present. And we're going to see those in verses 14 and 15 verses 14 and 15, 200 female goats and 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 milk camels with their colts, 40 cows and 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys and 10 foals. We have here over 550 animals. 490 of them are female. What would be the significance of that? To reproduce, right? He's, he's basically giving him a business. <laughs> I mean, if he wants it. It's really difficult to say how much money that would equate to nowadays. But it's easily four figures, most likely five, and potentially six figures monetary worth in today's values, all right, to give this over to his brother. So we're talking about a huge, huge present. This is a really big present that he's going to give to his brother. So – Jacob prayed to God, dear God, please deliver me. And then Jacob prepares this huge present. Well, what's it going to be, Jacob? Are you trying to buy his favor? Or are you going to trust God for his favor? What's it going to be? It doesn't have to be one or the other. You have in here a combination of God's sovereignty. God, please do what I'm hoping you will do. But you're sovereign. You can do whatever you want. Trusting in God's sovereignty, but at the same time also making preparations for ourselves as well. Like I said, it doesn't have to be one or the other These can be things that don't have to be contradictory They can actually be complementary Let me give you some examples We've talked about before we had this study today A lot of people have praise reports and prayer requests Having to do with having gone to the doctor For physical ailments or physical maladies Or or healings or continuation of healings It's a good thing to pray to God for healing It's a good thing to pray to God That the healing continues or that the healing comes But it's also a good thing to go see your doctor. The expectation is that we are supposed to do what we can do Mm -hmm. and trust God for the rest. And God's really good at exceeding our abilities, right? So we do what we can do in our abilities, Mm -hmm. and then God will – oftentimes, we've seen this – God will make up the difference in miracles. And so we go, hey, you know, I went to my doctor. And we come back with stories about quick healings and how things just went really well. And we've got to give God, rightly, we've got to give God credit for those things as well. And sometimes you even hear stories of complete healings where it wasn't required of a doctor at all. But usually when you go through life in this Christian life, it's not to say, oh, I prayed to God and I'm not going to go to the doctor. You know, I pray to God for my sick child who has a fever of 102, 103, uh, but I'm not going to take him to the doctor. No, a good responsible parent is going to take their child to a doctor and seek out what they can, Mm -hmm. doing what they can, but trusting God also to be present and to be over that situation. Uh, One of the things that you don't see here is that Jacob doesn't send a collection or a group of servants over to Esau. He sends animals and he sends them in the care of his servants, but he doesn't send, you know, 200 servants. And so some of the commentators say, well, maybe that's Jacob hedging his bet. I'm going to take these 200 goats and I'm going to send them off in this number, small number of servants, whatever it takes, the minimum number, to send the goats on ahead, all right? And then I'm going to send the camels or the donkeys with their individual, people that are in charge of taking them on ahead. But as far as hearing of a group of 200 servants, you know what? Let's hold back and let's guard the group, all right? Let's protect the group is probably what's going on. That's a possibility that we see here. By the way, the size of this gift, it seems to suggest two things. Number one, it suggests how fruitful God made the situation for Jacob over in Aram. God totally blessed Jacob. You remember when Jacob said, you know, I crossed over, all I had was my staff, and now here I come, and I've got enough to separate into two huge companies, all right, two huge camps. Mm -hmm. So God definitely blessed him, and so we see in this gift how much blessing, that this is a substantial blessing. It suggests how much God had blessed him in the 20 years he's been gone. But it also suggests that perhaps Jacob is acknowledging how he wronged his brother. And now he's trying for reconciliation or restoration of the relationship that is acknowledging him. Hey, oh man, I really wronged my brother and I need to do right by him now. Verse 16. Somebody mind reading verse 16. Put them in the care of his servants. Each herd by itself and said to his servants, go ahead of me and keep some space between the herds. Excellent. Thank you, Mike. So between the herds. So you've got several different herds here. If you count the groups, you'll find that there's eight different groupings of animals, I'm estimating, because you got the 200 female goats and the 20 male goats. I'm thinking you probably don't have the males and the females going together. Perhaps you do, but I'm thinking maybe you don't. That might create delays along the way. Um, So perhaps one or two groups there. You have 200 ewes and 20 rams, so you probably don't put the ewes with the rams. You probably separate them out. 30 mil camels with their colts, yeah, I bet they can go together. 40 cows and 10 bulls, uh, probably keep those separate. And then uh, 20 female donkeys and 10 foals, probably put those together. So we're looking, you know, roughly eight groups without knowing for sure. It doesn't tell us for sure how many different groups, but Jacob's plan is... Okay, you guys take this group of animals, you go on ahead, and he gives basically the same instructions to each group, each group of people that's in charge of a group of animals. Your instruction is go on ahead, and you can see here the instructions in verse 17 and 18. And he commanded the first one, saying, When Esau, my brother, meets you and asks you, saying, To whom do you belong and where are you going? Who are these in front of you? Then you shall say, They are your servant Jacob's. It is a present sent to my lord Esau, and behold, he also is behind us. So from Esau's perspective, here's what would happen. If you're making progress toward Jacob and he's making progress toward you, here comes the first group of animals and those animals' shepherds. And Esau says, who are you and to whom do all these animals belong? Oh, well, we are actually servants of your brother. And he sent us on ahead to give you these animals. Here's a gift for you. And Esau probably thinking, wow, that was interesting. And then another group. Because each one's saying, oh, and Jacob's behind us. And so you might be thinking, oh, he sent a group of animals as a gift. Jacob's going to be the next person I see, the next. And then there's another group of animals and another group of animals and another group of animals. And the message is the same each time. Eight times these groups of animals are coming. Oh, and Jacob's right behind us. So this is probably to soften his heart. You can see how this would be the intention to soften Esau's heart toward Jacob. So I imagine it's probably like a cattle drive. you ever seen that old Billy Crystal movie city Slickers yeah. you know, <laughs> except without them being just cows, you know you've got a lot of other animals going on as well. you got the camels, you got the donkeys, you got the bulls and the cows and, the, and and you've got the female goats, the male goats, the ewes and the rams and the there's all kinds of animals going on. It sounds like a zoo or a menagerie coming by verse 19. so he commanded the second, the third, and all who followed the drove, saying, in this manner you shall speak to Esau when you find him." And then verse 20, and also say, behold, your servant Jacob is behind us. For he said, I will appease, I will appease. Anybody else have a different word there? Is it all the same? All right. For he said, I will appease him with the present that goes before me. And afterward, I will see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. Pacify. Pacify. Okay. Appease or pacify. So Jacob has no assurance that this is going to work. He's giving it a try. We're called upon to do what we can do and trust God for the rest. And so he's doing what he can do, and he's trusting God for the rest. I see this gift, though. This gift is huge, as we've mentioned. And it reminds me of that passage in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7, where Paul says, God loves a cheerful giver. (laughs) This sounds like a cheerful giver. This is quite a gift, all right? This is well beyond sitting in the pew on a Sunday morning and pulling a five out of your pocket, you know, and throwing it in the offering plate. All right, this is substantial. This is a big gift. He's giving a great gift to his brother. He's trying to appease him or pacify him, as we're seeing here. Verse 21. Somebody mind reading verse 21? So Jacob's gifts went on ahead of him, but he himself spent the night in the camp. Excellent, thank you. So he himself spent the night in the camp. Now, I don't want you to think that he's actually fallen asleep yet, because this is a momentous night. This is kind of the same wording that we had the end of the last time we met together, that uh, he stayed there that night. But he didn't fall asleep yet. He divided up the animals. And now it sounds like he's fallen asleep, but not yet because it sounds like there's more to come. So before we're completely done and he goes to sleep for the night, if I can even say that. I'm not sure that he actually did. All right. There's a lot more that's actually going to end up happening. So we're 21 verses into it. What I'd like to do now is I'd like to pass out some fill-in-the-blanks. Go ahead and take one. Pass the rest down. If you need a pen, go ahead and grab a pen over there. We're going to do some fill-in-the-blanks. And so basically what I would say is this. In these 21 verses, what do you see? You see reconciliation or an attempt at reconciliation. You see a pattern emerging that maybe provides some beneficial tips for us when we need reconciliation. Because here's the deal. In your life, if you haven't had a fallout yet with somebody that you love dearly or that you're related to or that you used to have a close relationship to, if you haven't had a fallout yet, you will. There will come a day, if it's not already here upon you, that there's going to be a fallout where there's going to be a need for reconciliation. And so what can we do? In this chapter, in verses 1 through 21, we have little tidbits, little hints of things that we can do to help us, maybe provides a pattern for us to follow in seeking reconciliation with somebody that we need reconciliation with. So number one, or I'd say step one, you see there are steps toward reconciliation. Step one, from verses 1 and 2, I'd put in here, advance earnestly, advance earnestly. The story started off in verses 1 and 2 that he made progress and going in the direction of Esau. He knew he was going to have this meeting with Esau. He could have maybe done something else. Maybe turn to the left, turn to the right, turn around, go the other way. You know, there were options. You don't have to just walk into suicide. But he earnestly goes in that direction. He advances earnestly. Number two, or step two, correspond peacefully. You remember he sent the message. He sent a message intending and looking for peace. And he, he says, I, I hope to find favor in your eyes. All right. So he corresponds peacefully. These could be helpful for us. If we know that we need reconciliation, number one, we need to make movement in the direction of getting reconciliation, of seeking reconciliation, of seeing reconciliation happen. That would be the first one. Number two, we should correspond peacefully, all right, like we filled in right there. Maybe we need to correspond with somebody that we haven't heard from in a long time or they haven't heard from us. Maybe it's time to initiate then that correspondence, Mm -hmm. correspond peacefully step two number three continue courageously you remember that we read in those verses right there verses six through eight he was fearful but he continued on despite his fears he continued on what is that called that's called courage courage is continuing to move forward despite your fears so he's got those fears but he's continuing to move in the direction of reconciliation with his brother so continue courageously and then the next one step four pray boldly pray boldly god invites us to pray boldly and he does we have an example here of jacob's bold prayer asking for god's deliverance asking for god's success over this seeking reconciliation with his brother and then step five and this is basically all the material we looked at today give sacrificially give sacrificially you can bet that this gift made a dent all right um sometimes when we seek reconciliation we kind of draw the line at giving sacrificially we're kind of like well you know maybe maybe i'll do it in reciprocation if we're going to reconcile they need to do something first before i do they need to show me that this is actually working before i'm all in for the sacrificial part no maybe we're the ones that need to start off by being the sacrificial giving sacrificially giving sacrificially so steps toward reconciliation there you have those five steps And I would say we have a pattern here in Scripture, and maybe you'll find it useful in a situation you might be in if you need to seek out reconciliation. So giving gifts may secure restoration when we've offended somebody else. I mean, this was a big gift. Human nature, we tend to say, "Wow, if somebody that I had to fall out with sent me a gift like that, yeah, that'd work. That'd soften me up, right? Mm -hmm. If those work with people, does that work with God? You know, we can give good gifts to one another and hope to see reconciliation come out of that. But what if we've offended God? What if it's not a person we've offended? What if we have offended God? Can we, by good deeds, earn our reconciliation with God? We can't. We can't. We cannot, by our good deeds, secure the forgiveness we might desire. It doesn't work that way with God. It might work that way with people. But it doesn't work that way with God. A lot of people, they make that mistake. They think, well, I'm a good person. I mean, this doesn't apply to me because I'm a good person. Mm -hmm. And they think, you know, if I've offended God, that was in the past, or it was in small measures, not compared to the bad people I know in my life. And we work here in this courthouse, and we see lots of bad people cross our paths, Mm -hmm. and we go, I'm not as bad as that guy. And in fact, if I compare myself to all the bad guys that I'm surrounded by in this job, We can come away with a tendency to think, I'm a pretty good guy. I'm a pretty good gal. And God likes good gals and good guys. And God has prepared heaven for good people. And I'm in the group, surely I must be in the group, of the good people who get to go to heaven because that's who goes to heaven, good people. As if we earn salvation by works. We don't. The Bible is clear on that. We cannot earn salvation by works. And somebody might be thinking, but but I don't need salvation because I'm good. But the Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We have all sinned. And you might be thinking, well, sins, you know, there's different measures of sin. I'm not like the murderer. I mean, my sin was when I was a little kid. I took that candy bar from the grocery store on the corner and the guy never caught me. So he was out 35 cents. That's the limit of the sin that pops into my mind right now, right? No, small or big sin is sin. You're talking about the holy God, the creator of the universe. He is the epitome of holy. And what does he demand of us? Holiness. He demands from us blamelessness. Are any of us able to offer blamelessness? No. Are any of us able to offer holiness on par with what God exhibits on his own? No. None of us can come to the table and offer any of that standard to him. So where are we? Back in the Old Testament times, they would provide these sacrifices. They would make these sacrifices. And a lot of times people, when they're reading their Bibles, they think, oh, that's how they got their sins forgiven. They would sacrifice animals And the way that you would get your sins forgiven is you would sacrifice this bull or you'd sacrifice this ram or whatever the case might have been. You'd make these sacrifices as if God would forgive you by doing that. But that's not actually what was going on. What that was doing, it was deferring the penalty. It wasn't forgiving the sins. All right. My mortgage, my mortgage is due on the first of every month. Right. But I have a grace period. Where if I pay my mortgage on the 5th of the month or the 6th or the 10th or even up to the 14th, I'm in a grace period. And they will accept my payment Mm -hmm. for the same amount as if I had paid on day one. But day 15 comes along and there's no more grace period. Now there's penalty phase, (laughs) right? Mm -hmm. So when I'm paying my mortgage, there's a grace period – that i'm putting off the payment that stings a lot right i'm putting off that payment it's deferred until later until the penalty phase all right that's the same with the sacrificial system of the old testament it didn't secure forgiveness it deferred until the penalty phase and when was the penalty phase what happened when the penalty phase came jesus christ himself came and paid the debt He came, and he was the sacrifice that was blameless, that was blemish-free, that was perfect in holiness. He came and died in our stead. Look back for a moment here at verse 20. When we read verse 20, you remember that I paused on that one part where most of our translations that we're using in here have the word appease, and Mike's translation had pacify, right? For he said, I will appease him with the present that goes before me. I will pacify him with the present that goes before me. The word that's being used there, the Hebrew word is kippur, as in Yom Kippur, as in Day of Atonement. This word means atonement. The word that's being used here, it's only been used one other time in the book of Genesis so far. And it was in connection with Noah. And when he built the ark, he was given instructions to cover, remember, with pitch, right? And we had that discussion about that. That covering is Kapoor. He was covering up the ark. The word means to atone for, to cleanse, to purify, or to cover. So the sacrificial system, this word Kapoor, it shows up over a hundred times in our Old Testament. Seventy-one times it's translated atonement. It shows up the most in the book of Leviticus and especially talking about the Day of Atonement and the sacrifices provided for atoning. The high priest, once a year, would go into the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle, and it was on the Day of Atonement. And before he was allowed to go in, he had to have his sins atoned for, but not just his own, his family's sins atoned for as well. So there was a provision that he would take a bull and sacrifice it, and that would atone for his sins and atone for the sins of his family and would permit him to make entry into the holy of holies because if you go in there and you're not atoned for There was a rope tied around your ankle so you could drag the dead body out, (laughs) okay? And they'd have little bells. The tradition I've heard is that they'd have little bells on the bottom of their garment. And yeah, as long as the bells are still ringing, the guy's still alive because he's still moving. But if the bells stop, start tugging on the rope, (laughs) pull the guy out because you're not going in to get him because you're going to die too, all right? So you pull him out by the rope and (laughs) next. (laughs) So that's a good reminder of what it means to walk into the holiness, the presence of God. He's a consuming fire, is the way that the Bible describes him. That kind of holiness we don't have. It's not innate in us. It needs to be appropriated to us by the death of Jesus. When I was talking about Romans three twenty three, for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God, we're all in a position where we need forgiveness. And the Bible says in Hebrews chapter nine verse twenty two, it says, "Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness." Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness. So you think, oh, then the sacrificial system was really where it's all at then. Because they sacrificed those bulls and those rams and those goats. That must be what really secures our forgiveness. No, it's not. Because Hebrews chapter 10, in fact, turn to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 4. Hebrews is near the back of your New Testament. If you go to the book of Revelation and turn left a couple small books, you're, you're going to hit the larger book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 4. Can the blood of bulls and goats take away sin? Chapter 10, verse 4. Somebody mind reading that out loud? But it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. It is not possible. It's not possible. Thank you, Gabriella. It's not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. So we're thinking, wait a minute. According to Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22, there's no forgiveness of sins without the shedding of blood. Yet the sacrifices of these animals never secured the forgiveness of sin. Where does that blood need to come from? It needs to come from you and I. For the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. By our sin, where are we at? We're in a position where we, we deserve death. How long has that been the case? Since the garden. You remember Adam and Eve. And God said, I'm going to make this really simple. One rule. <laughs> One little rule. Um, obey me. Don't eat from that tree. Because the day you eat of it, you're going to die what they do? They ate of it. Did they die? Not physically, not right away. They eventually did die physically, but you know where they died? They died spiritually in their relationship with God. Where there was communion with God, there's then separation. What does that mean for us? For the wages of sin is death. Are we going to die? Yeah, we're going to die. Does it only include physical death? No. It's a separation from God. It's an eternity separated from God in a place of torment. That's the punishment we deserve for our sins. And there's no paying for it with the blood of bulls and goats. So how do we atone for our sins? We die. We shed our blood. Because of my sins, I have to die. You have to die. Unless somebody's going to die in my place. When Jesus came and died, the reason he needed to live a sinless life is because his death would have only paid for his own sin if he had committed a sin. If he had committed sin while living among us, his death would not have atoned for us. But because he lived a sinless life, his death is able to satisfy our debt. When we read chapter 10 of Hebrews, and we read it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins in verse 4, I I can't end with it there. I have to keep reading. Verse 5, therefore, when he, this is speaking of Jesus, came into the world, he said, sacrifice and offerings you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you had no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come. In the volume of the book, it is written of me to do your will, O God. Previously saying, sacrifice and offerings, burnt offerings and offerings for sin, you did not desire nor had pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. Then he said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first that he may establish the second. By that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus once for all. His body, once for all, satisfied all the debt that we've accrued for all mankind, for all time. Those animals that were sacrificed, they deferred the payment until the penalty date. And Jesus died for us at that penalty phase. Mm -hmm. And every priest, verse 11, and every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. He's calling up the imagery of those priests back in the Old Testament times, sacrificing those animals. And it was going on all the time. That walking in Day of Atonement, walking into the Holy of Holies was once a year, but the sacrifices continued all year, every day. All right, every day. And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. Verse 12. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. Why did Jesus sit down at the right hand of God? Was he exhausted? Was he tired? Was he like, wow, it was a really long journey going all the way down there. Ugh. Then I had to live with them for 33 years. And then I had to die. This miserable, I got to sit down. Was he tired? No, why did he sit down? Because it is finished he completed his task. He got to sit down because it was it was done. It's over. It's finished. I'm sorry. I'm getting excited. but Okay, let's jump down to 17 and 18. Their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now where there is remission of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. You know there's a dilemma in Judaism that doesn't recognize Jesus as being the payment for our sins. There's a dilemma because they're not making sacrifices anymore. Oh, Oh, dear. We're not making sacrifices anymore. How are we going to get our sins forgiven? You know what they resorted to? Good deeds. Good deeds. But this says here, if you accept Jesus, if Jesus is your sacrifice, then there's no longer an offering for sin because he's already paid it. It's paid. He's paid. He's already died for sins you haven't committed yet. Those sins you're going to commit tonight, tomorrow, next week, next month, he's already paid it. His death, it so satisfies the requirements, it can take care of sins past, present, and future. Isn't that weird? Isn't that marvelous? Verse 19, therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Now he's called upon the Day of Atonement imagery, just like the priest makes entry into the, into the Holy of Holies. Nobody else would do that. Only the high priest and only once a year. What is he saying here? He's saying we can go in there. Having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus. By a new and living way, just as the high priest had the bowl that was sacrificed for him and his family, and that was like, that was required, or else tie the rope around his ankle and drag him back out. We get to go in by his blood. His blood makes atonement for us by a new and living way, which he has consecrated for us through the veil. That is his flesh and having a high priest over the house of God. We're going to verse 25 in case you're wondering how far is he going to read? Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. Having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as in the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. Is there a place for good works here? There actually is. Did you see that in verse 24? There is a place for good works. The place for good works comes after salvation, not as payment for salvation. It comes in gratitude for salvation. So Jesus becomes our sacrifice. When we're reading here that God loves a cheerful giver, it's because he was the model of the cheerful giver. Just as Jacob gave this awesome gift to his brother, Mm -hmm. God gave the awesome gift of his son. And he secured for us, he appeased, he pacified the wrath of God because he cleansed us from sins. It's almost as if we can say, I have a good feeling about how this is going to turn out. I have a good feeling about how Jacob is going to be received by Esau, just as I have a good feeling about how I'm going to be received by the father because of the death of Jesus, that great gift that the Father gave that satisfies the debt for all time for us. All right, let's close in prayer. Oh, I'm sorry, I kept you a little late. Heavenly Father, we appreciate and thank you for your great gift, and we pray that you would help us to live gratefully and to have the manifestation of good works in gratitude for the salvation you've provided. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. You guys have a wonderful week.